Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. MCC is a non-denominational country-style church, just a short 20-minute drive from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Although we're often considered a cowboy church, we're actually a community of diverse people from many different backgrounds who have a common commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And now, here's a message from Sunday morning at MCC. Well, good morning. Uh, Pastor John is not well today. He suffers from migraines, and today's a bad one. Becky has a migraine today, too, so... I'm guessing there's others who are migraine sufferers or having a, a hard time of it today. So, but I did say I'd pray, so I would like to pray. Father, we do thank you for bringing us together, and we thank you for the health of those who are here and um, the different things that we are always combating. Lord, we just pray for um, health for each one, and we're all at different levels of that, but we know that you are sovereign and that you help us. And we pray particularly for Pastor John and for Becky and for others that are suffering with uh, all the temperature changes and and barometric changes that we've had this week and the effect on um, having migraines, that we would just pray that you would give them grace to uh, persevere, and we pray that you would give them relief and um, that it might uh, dissipate quickly. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you um, give us your word that we can um, mine the treasures that are there. And there's so many things that you've just laid out for us so simply, and there's other things that we have to really do some digging to understand. But in both of those, it's your Holy Spirit who reveals to us and who teaches us. And so we pray as we're in your word today that your Holy Spirit would do his good work in us as um, we desire to know the things that you particularly have to say to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah and uh, watching the man Nehemiah as uh, we see him in leadership and seeing what it is to be a courageous warrior for Christ and um, for God. And I think that... um, how these two sermon series sort of together have blended with uh, Pastor John looking at us as those warriors in prayer and as we look at Nehemiah and see what kind of a person he was and to learn from him. And it tells us that, you know, all scripture is useful. It's not just New Testament, but the Old Testament as well is helpful to us in living a life of godliness. And so we um, have been doing both and learning from Nehemiah what it is to live a life of godliness. And so we've um, sort of been walking our way through the book of Nehemiah. Today we're on chapters 9 and 10, and we've seen how Nehemiah, uh, you know, being in Persia, he was the cupbearer to the king of Persia, and he um, realized, found out through his brother and some others, that Jerusalem still was a mess. The temple was rebuilt, but the walls were still in a rubble heap from when it was destroyed by the Babylonians. And so um, Nehemiah just has this mourning over the sin of the people that caused this, the fact that it hasn't been rebuilt, the fact that the big one, 
and this is really the big one, is that the Lord's name is um, not held in high honor in the, with the people who are walking by and seeing Jerusalem a mess because they identified all the Canaanites and all those other people that lived around there, identified the state of the city where God had put his name, Jerusalem, with the power of God. And so Nehemiah was correct in identifying it. And, you know, I've been thinking about that. When we as believers sin, it's not just that, you know, we have this problem now with the Lord, you know, we've done something and we've turned away, but it's actually the Lord's name is not honored in our life because then it keeps us from giving testimony to his great power because we just experience defeat. And so that's why the Lord says, keep your focus on me. And um, what we're looking at today, Nehemiah, of course, he's gone back and he's rebuilt the, the walls. The walls are completely restored. The gates are in place. That happened two weeks ago. It happened. And so everything looks good, but the people aren't yet at a place where they are truly repentant. And so Ezra, who is a contemporary of Nehemiah, has come in, and um, they've, you know, sorted out all the people. They've figured out who are legitimately the priests and the Levites and who just claim to be but aren't really, like Tobiah. He claimed to be part of that royal family or the, the family who would be in the temple. And uh, Nehemiah says, no, the family of Tobiah isn't. They're Ammonites. They're not Israelites. And so they've, they've cleaned that out, and they have um, read, Ezra read, the law to the people, and the people stood for hours and hours as Ezra read the law to them. And then they celebrated the Feasts of the Fall, which are the ones that we talked about, the uh, Feast of Trumpets and um, Feast of Ingathering is bringing them all in, the Feast of, uh, a, well, the Day of Atonement, and then um, to just uh, the whole thing being the Feast of Tabernacles, they celebrated everything. And so now we are in, we talked about the seventh month, last time we talked about Nehemiah, we talked about the seventh month Tishri. Um, they have 12 months in the Jewish calendar, but the seventh month is the sabbatical month. It's the month of Sabbath rest. And that's why they have the fall feast in there. It's a month of Sabbath rest. When they bring in all the harvest and they rejoice at the good harvest that God's given them, but they are also mourning over the sin of the nation. They have the Day of Atonement where they are remembering um, the sin of the nation and how God has given them the covenant of Moses in order to be able to have a way of salvation. And the covenant of Moses that we call the Old Covenant, but it's you know the covenant that Moses was a mediator to, was brought in so that it would point to Jesus. And in the book of Galatians, it tells us exactly how that Old Covenant points to who Jesus is. So if you want to look at that, you can do that yourself this afternoon. So um, they're celebrating, really, the looking forward to the return of Jesus is what they're looking at. And so are we. And so, you know, all these many thousands of years later, here we are still looking forward to the return of Christ when he will come and he will bring in his kingdom in completion. So that month Tishri is the Sabbath month, and when we start in chapter 9 of Nehemiah, we see that um, 
we are um, in that month, but on the 24th day, which means we've been through all the feasts. And yet they still aren't finished because remember, this is a huge deal. And some celebrations are just a bigger deal than others. And this is the first that they've all been together, they've celebrated the feast, and the wall is complete. So in essence, Jerusalem is, quote, back to normal. And it's the first that they have been able to celebrate that since the Babylonians destroyed it way back in um, 587 B.C. So they're together, they're celebrating, but their, um, their time of joy, remember they were told, take off your sackcloth, now is a time of joy. Well, now they're putting their sackcloth and ashes back on, and it's a time of mourning because they are remembering. And it's the same as um, this morning when we were remembering what the Lord did. It's both a time of, of sorrow, of mourning, as we think about the sin that we've committed, what we caused for Christ to have to die. Um, when we think about what happened to Jesus when he was crucified on the cross. So it's a time of mourning for us, but it's also a time of rejoicing as we think, you know, the three days later, the resurrection from the dead and the hope that we have that we will one day also be resurrected from the dead. But the hope that we have now, it's a certain hope that we have that certain salvation that comes through belief in Jesus Christ. And so there's always in the Christian life, as well as in the life of the Jewish people, this time of, of mourning, but also a celebration. It always seems to be a twosome. And so um, Nehemiah is, um, the book of Nehemiah, I should say, is we're now where Ezra's speaking. And Ezra has um, had them build this huge platform, and he has all these priests up there with him, and they're named in, in Nehemiah 9, the ones that are up there with him are named. And then Ezra is going to read the law to them again. And so how they do it is he reads the law for three hours, and they're standing for this whole thing. He reads the law for three hours, so he reads out of the scriptures for three hours, and then for three hours they um, mourn and repent and they worship God for what he has done for them. And so the, um, the reading of the scriptures was a remembrance for them as, as you know, basically it would be the Torah, the, the first five books of what we call the Bible. Um, he would be reading to them. And they'd be remembering all of the times where the Lord helped the Israelites and yet they turned away from him. And so they would be reading about the sins of the fathers. And then as they move into the worship time in the next three hours, they're remembering their own sin. And when you know we are, are singing and praying, that's one of the things that we're doing. We're not just remembering other people. We're also remembering us in our relationship to the Lord, things that we have done well and things where we really haven't done well. And the Lord is calling us to yet again repent from that. It doesn't, we don't lose our salvation, but he still says, I, you, I want you to repent of that and turn back to me, and um, I will hear you. So um, they're doing that, and they had the separation from the foreigners, it says. And what that means, it doesn't mean that they said, well, you, you know, you guys don't belong here, you have to leave. That actually is talking about divorce. And it's talking about a, the divorce um, that was instituted a little bit earlier where these um, Israelites had married uh, Canaanite women, Ammonite women, 
um, all these different women who had these foreign gods, and it's not like they turned to God. If they had turned to God, that would be no problem, like Rahab, for example. But because they didn't, then God is saying, no, Israel is going to be pure. Now, that isn't to be a benchmark for us today in terms of divorce. That's not the purpose of this. We have to keep in context, and the context here was trying to reestablish Israel as a Jewish nation, a unique people unto God, that were bringing that, those chosen people bringing the light of Jesus into the world. Even though they didn't have a complete understanding like we have in the New Testament, they certainly had much to go on, and they were to be a light to the other nations of what it was to be like um, as a nation that worshipped God. And so part of that is getting rid of all of the idolatry, and part of that was getting rid of the people who practiced idolatry, and that was all these foreign women that they had married. And so they have this... um, time of separation, this time of confession that was both personal as well as historical, and this time of uh, recounting what God had done. And that's really what chapter 9 is about. It's, it's The whole chapter is recounting what God has done right from way back when with Abraham. And so um, Ezra starts with Abraham, and he's, and he's remembering the promise, the covenant that God gave to Abraham. Now, re- keep in mind, that was 400 years before the covenant was made with Moses, with Moses as the mediator. So 400 years before the old covenant came the Abrahamic covenant. And that's the covenant of promise that we still today are a part of. We are called the children of Abraham, those who truly believe. And so they went um, back to looking at the Abrahamic covenant and what God had promised. And he promised to Abraham that he would give to Abraham the land, the promised land, which went all the way from the brook of Egypt, which is uh, just south of um, you know, what we know as the territory of Israel today, all the way to the Euphrates River, which we've never seen Israel own all that property. So we know there's some stuff that still needs to be fulfilled. And so there's this huge promised land that God promised to Abraham. And he said also, I will give you so many descendants. And this is, you know, before he even has children, he's promised all these descendants. And then, you know, if we follow the the life of Abraham, we see how God fulfills that. And it takes a while before God fulfills it. But he's promised that he will have many descendants. And those descendants are not just the Jews. It's not just the Jewish people, though it is that. It's actually beyond that to all who are believers. And so we are part of that Abrahamic promise in that we're part of the fulfillment to Abraham that there would be uncountable numbers who believe. And so that's the second thing. And the third thing that he was promised was the seed. And the seed, we learn in Galatians, is Jesus Christ. He was promised that the Savior that was promised all the way back in Adam and Eve's day would be coming now through this one man, Abraham. And that Abraham would be the establishment of the line of Jesus. And so we keep the Jewish people to keep that line of Abraham intact. And we can follow through the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, have the genealogies that follow that 
um, that line. So we see the line from Abraham all the way to Jesus. It's a fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise. So the two things that haven't been, um, well, three things really, they've seen partial fulfillment in Nehemiah's day, but not complete fulfillment. Jesus hasn't come yet. They're still waiting for the Messiah at this point. They don't have all the land, although they have a good chunk of it. And um, all the descendants, meaning you and I, are not yet even born. And so they see partial fulfillment, but not the whole thing. And so they're remembering this and remembering, and they're exalting God as they exalt him and say, you know, you be exalted above all. You are blessed, and we honor your name. And so um, we see that... uh, After that, he goes into the covenant that God made with Abraham, and he uses the term um, cut covenant, and that's the word karat berith, and very important Hebrew words for us, because we're going to see them in chapter 10. And he's going to pull on that symbolism and bring it into um, what they're going to do on this day that we're talking about, where they're remembering. And so um, then they remember it goes up and down and up and down. So the next part that they remember is, um, you know, God promised them that they would defeat all of these enemies, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the um, Amorites, all those people, the Philistines, all of them, that they would be defeated and that they would be driven out. And um, that God would give them this land because God is faithful to his promise. But God also tells Abraham there's going to be 400 years before that happens. And so for 400 years, the people of Israel through you know, the story of Joseph um, went into Egypt. They became a huge number, so much that the more recent pharaoh, before they were um, sent out, um, made them all slaves. They weren't slaves the whole 400 years, but a good chunk at the end there. And it was so miserable, and they cried out to God. God gave them a deliverer. Moses. Moses came and, um, you know, he led them out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea. And so they had 10 plagues in Egypt that they were preserved from while the Egyptians suffered under it. And particularly the last one, which was the first Passover, where um, the angel of death came through and anyone who didn't have the blood on the doorposts and the lintels would lose the firstborn. The firstborn son would die. And so Pharaoh's firstborn son died, as well as so many other Egyptians who um, didn't believe, but not of the Hebrew children who were covered by the blood. And so um, then they were brought out, they got to the Red Sea, and of course they've got the Egyptian army behind them, the Red Sea in front of them, and they call out and they say, why to Moses have you brought us here only to die? And Moses turns and calls out to the Lord, and the Lord says, well, put your staff over the sea. Like, who would think of that? I mean, you might think of it now, because Moses gave us an example. But who would think of that back then? And the Lord says, put your staff over the sea. And the sea miraculously parted, and a great wind came from the east and dried up all the land, and the children of Israel scampered across to the other side. The Egyptians followed them, and the sea crashed in on the Egyptians and drowned them. And so now they're not only safe on the other side, but their enemy has been defeated. And there's a number of songs in the scripture um, describing that where they were hurled into the sea. 
And so um, they were defeated. And we see over and over again how God protects his people. Even though we're not the greatest, and for sure the Israelites weren't the greatest, God still has a plan, and he is sovereign, and he will execute his plan regardless of what we mere mortals decide to do. And so um, now they're in this wilderness, and they have all these signs, and not only that, they have the pillar of cloud by day, they have the pillar of fire by night, so they always know the presence of God, and it dwelt above the mercy seat, which is covering the Ark of the Covenant. And so when the pillar of cloud moved, then the people of Israel knew, ah, we're we're folding up camp and we're following. And they would follow to wherever God led them. And God led them through the wilderness, and he intended to take uh, you know, more than a year to do this so that he could give to them all the law. And so he takes them to Mount Sinai where they receive the law from Moses. And Moses is up on Mount Sinai and he receives not just the Ten Commandments but all the ordinances, all the statutes, all the commandments of the Lord and he brings them down to the people. And they cut covenant. Here we have it again. And this is what we call the Mosaic Covenant or the Old Covenant. So they cut covenant and Moses takes the blood of the bulls and he sprinkles half on the altar, meaning God's got his half that he's keeping. And then he turns to the people and the other half of the blood he sprinkles on the people. And so they say, this day we will follow the Lord and we will do everything that he commands us until the next hour when Moses goes up to the mountain and they decide, oh, where did Moses go? I mean, the mountain's shaking and there's a big cloud that's come over the mountain. There's lightning, there's thunder, which is the voice of God, but they hear thunder. And like, there's all this stuff that's obviously God. And they go, where did Moses go? I guess there is no God. Our God really is the God of Egypt who delivered us from Egypt. Now, how that makes sense, I don't know. But they all throw in their gold, and Aaron helps them, and they make this golden calf, and they're doing all their immoral things before this golden calf and worshiping it and worshiping the God of Egypt. And uh, Moses comes down. He goes, what are you doing? Like, are you guys crazy? God just gave us all these commandments, and no sooner do I turn my back than you go back to your wicked ways. And so we call that the great apostasy. And, um, but God still, in his mercy, he still, um, you know, there was some stuff that happened. We won't go into all the details. But God, in his mercy, still preserved them. He didn't wipe them out. He gave them manna as they went through the wilderness, and he gave them water when they came to places with no water. He provided for them in every way. And when they got to the promised land, he says, now you can go in. So Moses sends the 12 spies. You know that story. They come back and they say, wow, there's giants in there. And the only ones who were faithful were Joshua and Caleb, which is what we're studying in our Bible study on Wednesdays. And so... um, They refused to go into the promised land. And we've talked about this before, that the promised land for us is the spirit-filled life. It's living in the power of the Holy Spirit because we cannot do it on our own. We cannot defeat the enemies that are in Canaan, so to speak. We have to have the Holy Spirit doing that. But we can refuse the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can say, you know, I got this. I have my salvation. 
I'm across the Red Sea. I belong to you, but I'm content with staying in the wilderness. And so that's really what these Jewish people were saying. We're going to stay in the wilderness. We're not going to go into the promised land because we are fearful of the enemies that are there. And so they didn't trust God. They stayed in the wilderness, and God said, fine, fine, stay in the wilderness. None of you are going into the promised land until all of these adults are dead and their children, who will be 40 years older, they'll go into the promised land under Joshua. And that's exactly what happened. But still God was faithful when they were in the wilderness. And God is faithful to us when we are in the wilderness. They wandered around in the wilderness and they had um, water. They continued to get the manna from God and their um, shoes never wore out. Beautiful, lovely shoes that never wore out. And their clothing never got old. Can you wear what you're wearing today for 40 years? Every day? All day? Wandering around in a desert? I don't think so. So God preserved them because God's like that. Even when we are unfaithful, he is faithful. And so he preserved them through that time. And um, eventually, of course, we've got Joshua, and he has them cross now the Jordan River, and it's a remembrance that's similar to the Red Sea. And they, you know, pick up stones out of the river and they make the altar in um, Gilgal and Joshua then starts his campaigns and they take the central part, then the southern part, then the northern part and Joshua does his assignment and his assignment was to take all the major cities of Israel and then, the, and then he assigned all the tribal areas and their assignment was to clear out the land of the rest of the enemies. So, you know, Joshua did the major cities, but it was up to each tribe to do all the rural areas and the minor towns and and little cities that were in their areas. And so, of course, some of them did. Some of the tribes did, but a lot of them didn't. And they didn't do what God told them to do. And the problem was is that it became then a snare for them. And that's why we have to clear out the enemies. That's why God calls us. When we have sinful practices in our life, when we have um, attitudes that we know are not God's way, bitterness, unforgiveness, these are our enemies. These are not enemies that we hold against other people. They're actually our enemies, and they embitter our heart, they harden our heart, and they keep us in the wilderness. And the Lord says, you've got to get rid of that stuff for your sake. You have got to get rid of that stuff. You cannot do it in your own strength. You must do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, we learn about that in the New Testament, how to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. But they didn't do that. And so it became a snare to them. And they were, um, they went back into idolatry. God continually sent them prophets and they killed the prophets, so many prophets, or they threw them into pits, or they threw them into jail, and they certainly didn't listen to them. And God warned them and warned them and warned them, and they refused to listen to the Lord, and they got worse and worse and worse. The kings of Assyria came, they trampled the northern kingdom, took it off. Still, the southern kingdom did not learn their lesson from watching what happened to the northern kingdom. And still, they were in trouble. 
And so they kept with their idolatry. They did not turn back to the Lord. And the Lord said, if you do not turn back, I will raise up a king who will come and who will trample you. And you will be taken out of your homes and you will be taken captive to a foreign city, a place that you do not know, a people you do not know that have practices that you are not familiar with. Did they repent? No. And these are the days of Jeremiah. They threw him into a pit and they threw him into jail and they would have killed him except the Lord prevented it. And so um, sure enough, the king of Babylon came, destroyed Jerusalem, which is why Jerusalem got destroyed, took them all into Babylon. And um, remember, Ezra's repeating all this. This is taking him three hours. I'm going to do it in less than 45 minutes. (laughs) And um, they're all going, ah, how could they do this? Because they don't have what we have. The scripture's here just to always be in them. They don't have that. It's all handwritten, and only the priests really had the Torah. And so Ezra's reading them out of the Torah what's happening, and they're all going, what is the matter with them? Why can't they just be faithful? Well, the same thing with us. Do you ever say that about yourself? What's the matter with me? Why can't I just be faithful to God? Why do I hang on to these things? And the Lord says, by the power of the Spirit, you can be free. But you must remember what he has done and what he can do in your life and has done in the past and will do again. And so that's why they, they keep repeating this. So then when they go into Babylon, they spend the 70 years there in Babylon, the Lord returns them under Zerubbabel, They rebuild the temple under Zerubbabel. Um, Later comes Nehemiah, and they rebuild the walls. And that brings us up to the current date. And then um, they're called, and they said, Okay, from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day, you are just in all that has come upon us, for thou hast dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. So they're thinking about their history. And you think about the history of the church, we could say the same thing, couldn't we? The church has many times been unfaithful to the Lord. And then the Lord brings revival. And then we get unfaithful again. And the Lord brings revival again. And now we're going through a period where we are turning away from the Lord as a church. Not this church, I hope. But the the church worldwide in North America is turning away as God is raising up believers in other nations who will bring the revival hopefully back to North America. And so um, we keep doing the same thing. So easy to look at Israel and say, what is your problem? But we could do the same. And not just the nation, but also us as individuals. And... um, They said, for our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers have not kept thy law or paid attention to thy commandments and thine admonitions with which you have admonished them. But they in their own kingdom, with with thy great goodness, which thou didst give them, with the broad and rich land which you gave to them, which you set before them, did not serve you or turn from their evil deeds. The Lord has been very good to us as a church, very, very good. And his, the response he's looking from us is that we will serve him fully. We don't have so that we can just spend everything on ourselves, and I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about not just 
our things, but I'm also talking about where our mind is, where our prayers are focused. It's to actually turn from our evil deeds and to serve the living God, however he says. And then they say this very interesting thing, because remember, they're back in the promised land. They've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt the wall. They've had the celebration, and then they say this, Behold, we are slaves today. Remember, they are still slaves to the king of Persia. He is still the world emperor of all that area. So they are still slaves to the king of Persia. And the question is, are we in a place of salvation where we have received everything from the Lord God that we need for a life of godliness and yet still in slavery? It's possible because now it's a choice. It's a choice. Am I going to be free in the freedom that God has given me or am I going to continue in slavery to the wicked deeds that I was delivered from? Because we can choose to keep doing that. And so um, they say, Lord, um, they're really asking him to come and help them in this situation. And here's where they say, and it's not quite written in our English, but in the Hebrew. Now, because of all this, I'm in verse 38 of chapter 9, we are making an agreement in writing. And in the Hebrew, it uses karat barit. So that karat, to cut, we are cutting a covenant yet again with the Lord. And on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites and our priests. And it lists them in chapter 10. And so as they are all um, listed, we see that they are learning, um, like all these people are agreeing to this covenant. And we're learning that when we come into a covenant with the Lord, now he's done everything for us. We are saved by faith, not by works. It's not anything we've done. It's everything that he's done. However, he has called us to live differently. And daily we make those choices. But we can actually now choose to make the right choices by the power of the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. We didn't say, well, I'll take the Holy Spirit now. He's the one who said, you are a true believer. I will give you my Holy Spirit in order to walk in my ways and to teach you my covenant and my commandments. And so we learn from him through that. So I just wanted to um, look at um, some of the things that they promised. They promised, this is all in chapter 10, they promised to stay separate. Okay, so they promised not to intermarry again. They promised not to take up with the idolatrous um, spouses that they had taken up with. They said, we're not going to do that again. And they also promised to keep the Sabbath holy. And they said, you know, we're going to go back to the Sabbath practices that were laid out in Leviticus and in Exodus. And then they promised to give the tithe. They said, we will give the required 10% that you require of us. And... um, they promised to bring the first fruits of their harvest, the first fruits of their crops, of their um, fruit trees, the first fruit of the olive, the first fruit of the oil that they made, the first fruit of the wine, and the first fruit of their sons. And they did that by um, bringing a substitute so they didn't have to kill their firstborn son. 
they could bring an animal sacrifice and, and some money. So they promise to bring all these things of the first fruits, and they promise not to neglect the house of God as they have done previously many times over. And they promise not to do that. And I thought about that, and I thought, now, why those ones in particular? Um, you know, why not just all the Ten Commandments? Why pick out the Sabbath? And why um, are these things the things that they are promising to? Because really, they're promising to keep all the Old Covenant, which included the Ten Commandments. But these are the things that are brought up in Nehemiah. And I thought about that and reflected on it, about why that whole chapter of remembrance, and then, okay, we're going to do this. And my connection that I made was that these are things of remembrance, that they are promising to remember. So by remembering the Sabbath, they are remembering that God is holy, and he has set aside a day of rest in order to reflect on that. And when we don't take that day of rest, wherever that Sabbath is, because that that commandment's never been removed. We don't have nine commandments. We have ten still. So we still have that commandment to keep the Sabbath holy. That day of rest is a day of resting in all the work that God has done. The ungodly nations work seven days a week because they are doing it all themselves. By us resting on the seventh day or whatever day, what we're saying is, it's all God who's doing this for me. And I can rest in his goodness and know that he is caring for me. And I will be diligent on the other six days, but the seventh day is acknowledging that God is in control and he is sovereign in my life. The same with the tithe. God owns it all, but I'm giving back this 10% and letting it go completely. I'm not tracking it. I'm not saying, well, you've got to use my money wisely. I'm not doing that. I'm just giving it all freely back to the Lord to do with as he sees fit. And then if we receive the tithes like the priests did, then they had a responsibility to, be, um, to treat the tithe with holiness, with sacredness, and to treat it well and to do their diligence. And that's what we try to do as a church, is to be diligent and faithful with the tithe money so that we use it in the way that God prescribes. So these are all remembrances that we remember no matter what, it is what God has done for us. And so um, in Romans, we have, it says, um, for you have not received a spirit of slavery. We are no longer slaves to the old wicked ways, leading to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And that's why I put up there, are you a slave or are you a son? Do you see yourself as still enslaved, or are you truly a son of God? And then we have um, in the book of Hebrews, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, he became flesh and blood, that through death, because that's the only way he could die is to be flesh and blood, he might render powerless him, meaning Satan, who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. It's the fear of death that enslaves us. And Jesus died so that we would be free of that enslavement. And then in Romans 8, 23, 
And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. I thought that was very cool. The Holy Spirit is called the first fruits for us. In the Old Testament, they gave their first fruits to God. And God here has given the first fruits to us by way of his Holy Spirit, which is saying, um, just like in the Old Testament, by giving the first fruits of their harvest, they're saying that, you know, the promise of the harvest to come, it all belongs to God. So God is saying, the first fruits of the Holy Spirit I'm giving to you so that you know the promise of all the rest is coming for sure, because you have received my Holy Spirit, the Lord says. And so because we have his Holy Spirit, we can be assured that all the rest is going to happen too, which is the Lord's going to return. We're going to be living with him for the rest of eternity and that heaven, um, the kingdom of God, is ours. And then um, the last one in Philippians. But whatever things were gained to me, this is Paul writing, the apostle who had much, and he gave it all up for Christ. Whatever things were gained to me, what used to be important, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. But, he says, count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, so it's not his works, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained it. Okay, we haven't had the resurrection from the dead yet. Or have already become perfect. Like, we don't have perfection in our lives. It's not over, it's not complete. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus laid hold of us. And now we're seeking to lay hold of him. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Is that you? Are you like Paul? Are you remembering all the goodness of God in your life? And is it changing how you live your life today? Living it fully and completely for him. Knowing that you are no longer a slave to that which held you in slavery before. Whatever it was. Whether it was addictions. Whether it was um, bitterness. Whether it was an attitude of hatred whether it was apathy, whatever it was that enslaved you before, you have been freed if you are a believer in Christ. Now walk in that freedom by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can do this, not in your own strength, but because you have Christ within. And so he's calling us to that, and um, that really is why we remember and we remember, you know what? I'm not a slave anymore. I'm a son. I'm adopted into the family of God. Jesus Christ has made my way a sure way. And so now I live in that. 
And when temptation comes for any of those practices that we did before, not just behavioral, but what's going on in our hearts, when that temptation comes, I'm going to remember, hey, you know what? I'm not a slave. I don't have to do that. I can be a son and fully follow after Christ Jesus, my Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word, which is so rich, so full of the things that you're calling us to remember. And we pray, you've told us that your Holy Spirit, one of the things he does for us is to bring back to our memory the things that you have taught us. So we pray that that might really be true, that we would no longer think of ourselves as slaves, but that we would understand that we have been adopted as your children. And Father, we thank you that this is something that we can do. We can call you Father, and we know that you see us as your children. We have been brought in. So we pray that we would walk like really your family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm just going to ask you to stand. I'm going to read to you from Jude, which is a, um, well, we call it a benediction, but it really is like, let's go out. Okay. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. 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 Thank you. This live recording is made possible by the generous donation and support of our subscribers. If you would like to join the growing community of seekers and believers who support MCC podcasts, just go to our website, www.millervillechurch.org, and you can make your online donation anytime.